Young adults, what's going on, guys? We all doing good? Doing average or below average, I'm guessing, from the response? Hey, look to your neighbor. Look to your neighbor. Tell them your favorite thing about summer. It is summertime. Let them know your favorite thing about summer. Maybe compliment their tan. Let them know that they're looking good. Hey, so I've uh, got some serious business here real quick. I've been traveling for the past couple weeks, and uh, I've been keeping up with young adults um, via our YouTube channel and podcast and all that, and there's been some <clears throat> really weird talk about hockey recently. And um, I think Luke had you pray for the Red Wings, which who, who even knew that Detroit was still a city, like, right? And then... Uh, <laughs> And Jess, how'd you pray for Colorado's team, whoever that is? But the Bible says to give honor where honor is due. And so I just want to shout out your Stanley Cup champion, Washington Capitals. I've got like two people here that are with me. Shout out to Alexander Ovechkin. I don't really watch hockey as much as I used to, so, but Ovi got his first Stanley Cup, root for the home team. Moving on. All right, so uh, last week, or I guess the week before last, uh, last week was Party at the Park. Who all went to Party at the Park? It was amazing. If you missed out, don't do it again next year. It's just volleyball, food, fun, spike ball. I lose at spike ball all the time, but I still like to tell myself I'm really good at it. Um, but come and hang out with us next summer at Party in the Park. But the week before that, Jess kicked off a series that we're in called Imitators. And she talked about how, um, as Christians, we should be so close to Jesus and we should learn from Jesus and move like Jesus that she actually said that we should smell like Jesus. The Bible says that we should be the fragrance of God to our dying world. And so tonight, <clears throat> on the topic of imitators and imitation, I just want to kind of continue that conversation. And so the title of my message tonight is simply this. It is, I will choose to imitate. I will choose to imitate. Profound, I know. I will choose to imitate, but I believe as Christians, if we are going to imitate Jesus to a lost and dying and broken and hurting world, we need to make some decisions that we are going to choose daily to imitate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if you will, we're going to jump right into the Bible, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to go to five, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. So buckle up. We're going to do a little bit of reading, all right? Everybody there? No one's there. All right, doesn't matter. We'll be, it'll be on the screen. Here we go. Look to your neighbor. If somebody, if your neighbor has a real Bible, give them a high five. If they don't have a real Bible, give them that Christian judgmental glance. Your best one. All right, bring it back in. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, it says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Gentiles in this context is just worldly people, people that don't know Jesus. Let's say the mainstream culture of the day and the, and the futility of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way that you learn Christ. 
and assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Underline that if you can. And put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with their neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So that he, may have, he might have something to share with anyone who is in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Circle verse 29 if you can. But only such that is good for building up as is fit for the occasion. I love this part. That it might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. This is so cool. I love this. It's so simple. Be kind to one another. Just be nice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, so because of all this, because of everything I told you or because of what I just said, this is the avenue for what I'm about to say. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Can we pray? Jesus, we love you so much. God, we're expectant tonight. We're expectant not because we came here to sing a couple songs. We're expectant not because we came to uh, hear somebody stand on the stage and give us uh, a speech. God, we're not expectant because of any other thing than when your Holy Spirit is in our presence, God, life can change. When your Holy Spirit is here with us, you can speak to word uh, to our soul that might not even be said during the message that can change the trajectory of our life forever. And so Jesus, tonight I pray that we could just dwell in your presence, that we could dwell in the presence of the Holy Spirit, that you, God, would speak to us, speak to me as I'm speaking to my friends here. And I pray, Lord, that we would leave more like you, knowing you better. I'm having the same heart as you, Jesus. So I pray tonight that you would lift the head of the weary, you would heal the hearts of the broken, Jesus. I just pray that you would be lifted up because the Bible says when you are lifted up, you draw all men unto yourself. We do this for you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, so along the lines of imitating, growing up, I had a few role models in my life. I had a couple people that I really liked to look up to, that I imitated, that I wanted to follow the trajectory of their life, follow the path of their life. And first and foremost, the two people in my life that I looked up to the most were my parents. I have two of the most amazing parents on planet Earth. Shout out to my parents. I know you're watching either on Facebook Live or on YouTube. I love you, I miss you, I wanna come home soon. I have two of the most amazing parents on the planet. I seriously do. I love, I, I was so encouraged by the way that my dad chose to love my mom. My dad was a hard worker. He worked multiple jobs to provide for our family. Um, I love, my mom is a leader in our household. My dad is a leader as well, but you know, like the dad's the head, the mom's the neck. She like turns everything and makes it work. Um, 
my mom was just so full of grace. And I remember as a little kid, every, every day, because my mom was a stay-at-home mom when I was growing up, she would sit on the couch and she had this red Bible. And I remember her every single morning waking up. I'm like, Mom, where's my Cheerios? And she's like, hold on, I'm reading my Bible. And so it's just an image that I'll never forget. I, I, I wanted to model my life after my parents. I wanted to imitate my parents. Another group of people that uh, I looked up to and wanted to imitate so much are my grandparents. If you've been coming to Young Adults for any period of time, you know it's a fact that I have the greatest grandparents on planet Earth. They're amazing. My grandparents are the definition of hospitality. They are the definition of generosity, and they have a sense of humor that honestly rivals anybody that I know. Like, what middle school kid do you know look forward, looks forward to going over to hang out with older people because they're the funniest, um, they make fun of people, and you guys kind of have like little jokes that go back and forth. They just have this life about them. And I remember as a little kid, I was like, man, when I'm older, I want to be my grandparents. I want to be kind. I want to be loving. I want to be hospitable. I want to have people over. I want to make fun of people behind their back. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I just want to be like that. But outside of my family, outside of my immediate family, I had people in culture that I looked up to, that I wanted to emulate, um, that I wanted to imitate and follow the trajectory of their life. There were people that I just thought were cool. There were people that I thought had this confidence about them. And the first person as a little kid that I looked up to was this guy right here. Alan Iverson. That dude is bad. He is from Virginia. Don't know if there's a connection. I think there is. Um, he played his college ball at Georgetown, and this guy is a Hall of Famer. And there is something that I loved about Allen Iverson as a little kid is that he was smaller than everybody. It was this like little rugged dude, tatted up. He's the one that like made the armbands and the headbands popular. And there was just something about him. Like he was a dog. Like he would just go for people. Like you couldn't tell him that he couldn't compete on any level. And as a kid, for real, I looked up to, to Allen Iverson so much that it actually began my love affair with shoes. See, as a little kid, I remember I love shoes. I have way too many shoes. I have shoes in boxes that I don't even wear. You can ask my wife. Um, I just collect them. I don't know why I'm like afraid to wear them once I have them, but I love shoes. And I remember distinctly as a little kid, the first pair of shoes I had to have were the Iverson questions. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? One person, awesome. The Iverson questions, if you wanna be my best friend, size 10 and a half, white with red toe cap, Iverson questions, I will be your best friend for life. Iverson questions, man, those are my shoes. And I just remember as a kid, I was like, I, it's impossible. Why even play basketball unless I own these shoes? I looked up to Allen Iverson so much, I wanted to be him. And honestly, as a kid, does anybody, you know, like with the basketball video games, like NBA 2K, you can create your player. Like I would put tattoos all over myself like Allen Iverson. And I had all the tattoos that I wanted and I had them lined out because one day I was going to be like Allen Iverson because he's amazing. The next person that I looked up to, that I wanted to imitate my life around was none other than the goat himself, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Greatest NBA player of all time, cannot argue it. Went to six finals, came away with six championships. You just can't argue that. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. And I remember as a little kid, I wanted to be like Michael Jordan so bad. I remember my first impression of Michael Jordan 
when I knew I wanted to be like this guy. I was a little kid. I was sitting in my parents' bedroom watching the NBA Finals when Michael Jordan uh, crossed over that guy from the Utah Jazz, kindly guided him with his hand, and then stepped back and shot the shot and hung his hand up and hit the shot to win the game. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm seeing right now, but I know it's greatness. And I want to be like him so bad, it's insane. And so, um, kind of pathetic, I don't know, maybe awesome. I used to, there's a basketball court right behind my house growing up, and I would go over and play with friends, and whether I was just shooting by myself, or whether I was with, you know, playing pickup with my friends, before I left the court, I kid you not, every time I would get the ball, I'd like sprint to the right, pause, like fake, like guiding somebody with my hand, and I would have to hit that shot before I walked off the court, because I knew one day I was going to be in that exact same scenario in the NBA Finals. So I just had to prepare myself um, like any good student of Michael Jordan would do. But I, I love Michael Jordan so much that I didn't just get his shoes. Michael Jordan actually had a cologne. Can you throw that up there? Michael Jordan cologne. Does anybody in here know about Michael Jordan cologne? You could go to your middle school dance smelling like MJ. How awesome is that. But I like, when this came out, I was like, mom, need it, need it right now, need to smell like Mike, I need to look like Mike, wear shoes like Mike, stick my tongue out like Mike, and I need to smell like Mike. This is what I need, and I'm not even kidding you. This is, this is where it kind of gets sad, so bear with me here, <laughs> or pathetic, whatever you want to say. Um, as a kid, I joined Rec Basketball League, and I would put on the wristbands, I would put on the shoes, and before every single game to channel every ounce of MJ that I possibly could, I would hose myself down in Michael Jordan cologne, just, <laughs> just trying to get the edge, right? Trying to get like, if there was like a drop of sweat from Michael in the cologne, I wanted it to penetrate my pores so that I could play like Mike. And little did I know, it's just like this little ball of Hollister, like running around the court, like, knocking people out like as I ran past. But for big games, for big games, not only would I hose myself down with some MJ cologne, but I had this ritual where I would go downstairs. My parents would, you know, be getting ready to take me. I'd, I'd have my headband on, my wristbands on, uh, my questions on. I'd be, you know, smelling like Mike. And I would get this VHS and I would put it um, in my VCR and I would put on Space Jam. And I would put on the very opening scene where Michael Jordan's like seven or eight years old, because I was about seven or eight years old when I did this. And I remember him just hearing the basketball dribble, like hitting those shots with like the steel, uh, the steel, not rim, but um, netting, like the steel netting. And his dad comes out and he's like, Michael, it's late outside. And he's like, one more shot, dad. And in the background, you just hear R. Kelly coming on. And it's just that, like, that pivotal moment, like, I believe I can fly. Yeah, and you're just, Michael Jordan's like running to like, he's about to do a layup and it starts flashing to Jordan with his tongue out and I was just like oh my gosh anything that I have to do to be like this guy and as a kid I would sit and I would watch this channeling my inner mic and I would believe that I could fly and I would spray myself with cologne because I just wanted to be like him I wanted to imitate him with my life and my point in sharing this very bizarre pathetic awesome story about myself as a seven or eight year old kid is this everybody in this room is an imitator 
Every single person in this room, whether you want to admit it or not, you are an imitator. You are imitating something or someone. You are an imitator. It's in your DNA. The Bible says that you were made in God's image. Translation, you were designed to imitate the God who made you. Everybody in this room is an imitator. You are designed to imitate. So the question tonight is not, are you imitating something or somebody? The question is, who are you willing to choose to imitate? Who are you choosing to imitate your life after? Because the Bible actually says it's pretty clear, the human being, the human soul has a default setting. And the default setting of the human soul is this, to imitate the current cultural norms of the day to imitate whatever's going on in the cultural norms of the day. And the Bible actually says by doing this, by imitating the mindset, the, the, the talk, the actions of current culture, we are actually imitating a lifestyle that will lead us to death. Proverbs says this, it says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. Ephesians, the book that we kind of read out of earlier, chapter 2, it actually says this, it says, And you were dead... And the trespasses of your sin, in which you once walked following or imitating the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And I'm not sure exactly who that is, but it doesn't sound like a good person to imitate. And the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, get this, among whom we all once lived. And the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature childrens of, children of children's. Wow. We were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, I love it when God butts in, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Why were we dead with our trespasses? Because we were imitating a lifestyle of this world, of this culture. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that we all have been saved. There is a default setting and the human soul, that apart from God, apart from the grace, apart from the mercy of Jesus Christ, the default setting of our soul is to just kind of go with the ebbs and flows of whatever the world says to do, whatever the things that the culture says is actually the truth, but in reality, they will eventually lead us to a place of death. Paul is telling us in this book of Ephesians that we as human beings, we, as human beings, my goodness, human beings, wow. We as human beings have been designed in our innermost being to imitate something. We were, we were designed to imitate something. And without Jesus, we simply just follow the trajectory that the culture tells us to go on. But because of the grace of God and the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can now, not as perfect people, simply as forgiven people, we can now actually step up to the plate and imitate Jesus with our life. As a Christian, it is not your option. It is your responsibility to a broken and fallen world to imitate God, imitate Jesus with your life. That is your obligation to this world. Why? Because in Jesus, there is life. And if there's one thing this world is looking for more than anything, it is real, substantial life. It is our job to imitate life to this world. If one person claps, everybody got to sell out. 
I don't even receive it. I had to make you do it. I don't even receive it. So if we as Christians, I'm kidding, guys. If we as Christians are going to imitate Jesus, if we're going to begin to shift our focus on what we imitate, because we're imitating something, I believe that there are three specific things that we have to do on purpose. There are three things that we have to do on purpose if we are going to shift our focus from imitating the world to imitating God, to being Christians that are actual imitators of God. And it is this. These three things. I will choose my mindset. We must choose our mindset. I will choose my mindset. And I'll explain that in a minute. Second, I will choose to speak life. I will choose to speak life and be an encourager. I will choose to imitate God and speak life. And the final thing I'm going to talk about is I will choose to walk in love. Three major things. If we're going to imitate God and imitate his grace and his love and his mercy to this world, we have to imitate his mindset. We have to imitate the words that he speaks and we have to choose to walk in love. But it begins with the mindset. Ephesians 4, it says this, you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of what? Their minds. You, you don't walk as the rest of the world does, aka you don't think the way the rest of the world does because the way the rest of the world thinks, it's darkened in their understanding and it's alienated. Get this, the life that the world is kind of trying to push you and propel you to follow, it actually says it's alienated from the life that is found in God. It continues to say, so you put off your old self, which belonged to your former manner of life, a.k.a. when you let the world dictate every single decision that you made, and you are now renewed in the spirit of your mind, putting on the new self created in the likeness of God. If we are going to be imitators of God and in so showing the world what real, true, authentic life looks like, I honestly believe there are two mindsets that we must adapt as Christians, two mindsets that we must have if we're going to imitate the mind of God. First one is this, I will choose my mindset daily. Write that down if you're taking notes. I will choose my mindset daily. And I know some of y'all are in here and you're like, that's it? Like I, a daily choice of mindset? I thought we were going to get deep. Hard to get deep when we're drowning in the shallow end. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I will choose my mindset daily. Why is this so important? Because it is so easy to walk out of a church service like this where we're all fired up and we're all pumped and we've been worshiping God with our friends and we've heard a word and we've been in our Bible and then the very next day tomorrow comes and without even trying, at no fault of anybody else, you turn on the TV or you look at Instagram or you get online and you read the news and instantly you are bombarded with tens of thousands of messages trying to grab your attention and trying to get you to comply with the cultural norms of the day. And it goes something like this. If you are going to be a good person, this is how you have to think. If you are going to be a good citizen, these are the causes that you must stand behind and support. If you are going to be a good person, you need to vote this way, you need to think this way, you need to act this way, you probably need to talk this way. If, this, if you are going to be a good person, this is how you need to act. And as Christians, if we are not careful, not because we want to be bad or do something dumb, as Christians, if we're not careful, it is just our default setting of the human soul to imitate the mindset of this world. 
That is why every single day we need to spend time in God's word. Why? Why is it important to spend time in God's word? Because when we understand God's word, we understand the mind of God and we start to adapt the thoughts that God has for us. We start to think like God. We start to choose his mindset every single day as we understand what his mindset is every single day as we are in his word. We need to begin to think the thoughts of God, uh, give our life over to spending 5, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it looks like, reading our Bibles daily so we can begin to think the thoughts of God. Because here's the reality. If we do not choose our mindset every single day, the world has an amazing mindset that it would love to lend you for the day until you get back on track, right? The world has something readily available for you to choose as your mindset. If you do not intentionally choose it every single day, it goes something like this. Cultural mindset. Number one, how can I, who can I use today to benefit myself? Who can I use? Who, who can I like kind of manipulate? Who can I use to benefit myself and my purposes today? Jesus mindset. Who can I encourage today? Who can I go to and encourage? I don't need to use anybody. Who can I encourage today? God mindset, be an encourager. World mindset, who can I use to benefit me? Cultural mindset, how can I get ahead today? Jesus mindset, who can I serve today? Who can I serve today? Who can I lift up instead of lifting myself up? And here's the thing. There's even this line of thought kind of within the church and within Christian circles that if we are going to be effective witnesses to the world or whatever, if we're going to go out into our streets and we're going to tell people about Jesus, we probably should adopt the mindset of this world because it will allow us to understand the culture and it will allow us to understand the lingo and it will allow us to be relevant and we probably need to adapt the mindset of the culture. Listen, that could not be further from the truth. God did not send us into this world to kind of get a gauge on the culture and to kind of and indulge ourselves in the culture. And listen, I'm not saying TV shows, Netflix shows, certain clothing. I'm not, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about a mindset here. God didn't send us into the culture to adopt the mindset of the culture. He sent us into the culture because he said, in me is real life. In my word is real life. In my Holy Spirit, there is life. So you go into the culture. You write the narrative for the culture. You dictate the thoughts of the culture because there is real life in me. And that's the life that every single person is looking for. We have to take this grace. We have to take this mercy and we have to determine every single morning when we wake up, I'm going to choose a mindset of grace. I'm going to choose a mindset of mercy because here's the thing, the world's going to put pressure on you to think a certain way. They're going to call you a bigot if you don't think a certain way. But here's the truth. And, and listen, we don't protest. Christians don't protest with signs and, and anger. We protest with a life that is full of, of life. We, we, we live a life that is just so overflowing with grace and mercy and love and compassion that the world can't help but think, oh my gosh, like the way that I'm doing things isn't working like the way they are doing things. There's something that they have that I need. That is the mindset that we as Christians need to have every day. I will choose this mindset. Second thought, when it comes to the mindset that we as Christians need, if we are going to imitate the life of Jesus, it is this. Every day, I will choose to be unoffendable. Every single day, I am going to choose to be unoffendable. We live in one of the most easily offendable cultures in the entire world. Seriously. It is no longer politically correct for me to literally share a different opinion than you. 
It is no longer politically correct for me just to have another opinion about anything than the mainstream opinion. And, and so we live in a world where if you disagree with me, here is what I will do. I will shun you. I will block you out of my life. I will probably call you something behind your back, and I will start to slowly gather this little island of people that look like me, have the same skin color as me, vote the same way as me, have the same perspectives of life as me, wear the same weird corny t-shirts as me, and listen to the same knockoff music as me, aka um, offended Christian culture. Am I right? How many of us have like, we've seen the t-shirts, we've heard the music, like offended Christian culture. There is nothing uglier than a subculture of offended people. And that is the world that we kind of live in. But if we are going to reach a culture that doesn't believe in Jesus, one, we have to be unoffendable. And two, we cannot be shocked when people that don't know Jesus act like they don't know Jesus. We can't be offended when our friend who is an alcoholic comes into church smelling like alcohol. We can't be a friend, we can't be offended when our friend who's a drug dealer comes into church and sees a whole new audience to try to hustle. We have to understand, listen, if they don't know Jesus, they are going to act like they don't know Jesus. And guess what? Jesus hung out with these people because he was unoffendable. Jesus hung out with people whose lifestyle stood in total opposition to his message and his lifestyle. Jesus hung out with tax collectors. Tax collectors were thieves. They were drunks. They were, they were normally kind of bad people. Jesus hung out with tax collectors. Jesus hung out with prostitutes. Not in the club, but outside during lunch at Subway. Jesus hung out with prostitutes. And Jesus hung out with adulterers. Get this. There is a woman in the Bible... And literally, this is her description. It says she was a woman who, someone who lived a sinful life. Imagine if that was your like description in the Bible. Connor, like in the little index, uh, lived a sinful life. Bad person. Like this woman came up to Jesus. And the only context we have of her is that she lived a sinful life. And she came and she broke this alabaster jar, this box of like fine perfumes on Jesus's feet. And in that moment, Jesus was was not offended at the lifestyle that this woman lived because he knew she was recognizing something that other people didn't. But the Bible does say the religious people of the day were offended that this woman would approach Jesus and give him a gift because if only Jesus knew the lifestyle that she lived, he would not be cool with it. But Jesus knew absolutely everything this woman had done, is doing, and will do, and he was totally cool with it because while the religious people of the day, they couldn't recognize that this woman saw Jesus finally for who he is, and there was a change taking place in her heart. So often we want to read the outside of a person, and we don't get the opportunity to read what Jesus is doing on the inside of a person. And if we are going to be like God, if we are going to have the mindset of Christ. One, we have to pick it daily. And two, we have to choose to be unoffendable because we are going to rub shoulders that quite frankly might be with people that might offend us a little bit. Is that cool? Can young adults be a place where we are just choose, we just choose to be unoffended by somebody else's lifestyle? I hope and I pray that this room continues to fill with people that are different than us, that don't look like us because we're just unoffended and we say, hey, anyone who wants to is welcome. Come hear about Jesus. If we are going to imitate Jesus, we have to do it daily and we have to choose to be unoffended. Number two, and I think I'm going a little long. I don't know. I'm just, I'm feeling fired up tonight, guys. Number two, if we're going to imitate Jesus, 
I will choose to speak life. We need to choose to speak life. Ephesians 4 says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for the building up of others as is fit the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. If we are going to imitate Jesus with our words, speaking life and speaking hope to people, we need to decide right now that no matter what, I am going to be an encourager. Write that down. No matter what, I choose to be an encourager. And let me tell you something. If your criticism of somebody is louder than your encouragement towards somebody, don't, don't expect your words to have any weight or any power in, your li- in their life. I'll say that again. If your criticism towards someone is louder than your encouragement towards them, never expect your words to have any power in their life. Why? Who are you more likely to listen to? Are you more likely to listen to somebody that's always pointing out your flaws, always pointing out where you can get better, always pointing out what you did wrong, always pointing out where you missed it? Or are you more likely to to listen to somebody that believes in you, that is encouraging you, that is speaking the promises of God over your life, even though you might not even believe in God? Are are you really willing to listen to somebody that believes the best days of your life are ahead of you, that God has a purpose, that God has a calling on your life? Who are you more willing to listen to? I'm more willing to listen to the person that's encouraging me, even if I don't believe in what they believe in. See, encouragement always gets you a conversation at the table. Criticism is just something we kind of do from afar, right? Like social media, there are times, and I, I'm so guilty, there are times where I'll be like watching people that I, on social media that I followed in college, and if you're watching, I love you guys, sorry about this, but I would just judge them. I'll just judge their life, I'll judge their wife, I'll judge their house, I'll dr- judge their car, I'll judge where they're doing. I just, I'm criticizing their life instead of encouraging them and building them up. If we are going to be Christians, we need to make a decision to choose to be encouragers. Proverbs says this, it says, anxious fear brings depression, but a life-giving word of encouragement can do wonders to restore joy to the soul. You want to know what's magnetic in a world that is so critical, an encourager. You want to know somebody that just draws people to themselves for no other reason in a world that is so critical, it's an encourager. An encourager draws people to themselves. Get this, if you have an employee that you work with that you can't stand, encourage them. Even if you hate them, even like Becky, I hate Becky. She is, mm. Encourage him. Go encourage him. If you have a boss that comes down on you harder than they might come down on somebody else, or maybe there was a misunderstanding in your boss, you just feel like the goal in their life is to crush you and squash you. Do this. Pray for them and then encourage their dreams in public. Watch what happens to their spirit. It it might not get you a promotion, but I'll tell you one thing. It'll change their spirit. If you have a friend that you want to come to church and get to know Jesus, but they're not willing to step within a thousand miles of a church, start identifying the best in them and encouraging them in that. Start calling out the best in somebody. Start seeing what's there and calling out the best and encouraging the best in somebody. Because why? Sooner or later, somebody is going to come to you and say, hey, you are really weird and your encouragement is kind of stressing me out, but at the same time, I kind of like it. At the same time, I kind of like when you're like, hey, believe the best for you. (laughs) Hey, buddy, in the cubicle next to me. Hey, Dan, God's got a plan for your life. Praying for you. (laughs) It might weird some people out, but listen, 
it's going to be magnetic. And you don't have to be weird. You don't have to like prophesy something over their life when you've never had a conversation about Jesus with them. But literally just, and even if you have to start with like, hey man, like your shirt. Be like, oh, okay, thanks. It does something in you. You start to become an encourager. Hey, I like your shirt. Hey, believing the best for you. Hey, like just the other day, I'm dog sitting. And um, I'm, I'm taking this, this golden doodle on a walk. And um, it is just mad hyper. And from a distance, it sees another golden doodle coming from like eight miles away. And, and, I'm, and he's like pulling at the leash and like lunging. And I'm like, oh man, calm down, all right? And like, I don't know this dog very well. So I don't know if he's just going to go lick them or if he's going to try to rip their face off. So I'm just like blood tight grip on the leash. And um, this guy comes up, and I'm not kidding, because I was, I was reading for this and praying about this, and I want to be an encourager. I literally was just like, hey, man, like your shorts, which is a weird thing to say to another guy, <laughs> I realize in the moment. But just literally off a little compliment, he was like, oh, cool, I live around here. Do you live around there? I kind of was like, yes, I do. And then I said I was house-sitting. Um, but, and he was just like, hey, like, what do you do? And so I just got to tell him about Red Rocks. No idea if he'll ever come or not. But just a simple rando word of encouragement can open up doors that you might never know existed. Listen, sooner or later, people are going to ask you, why are you such an encourager? Because I'm a Christian. Why are you an encourager? Why do you choose to believe the best is yet to come? Why do you choose to believe that the best days are ahead? Why do you choose to believe that there is purpose, that there is faith, there is hope, there is life in my future? Because when I know Jesus, why not? When I know Jesus, the worst thing that could happen is that I die and I go live in a place with pearly gates and golden streets. Like, and that is better than what I'm experiencing right now. And so the best is yet to come. If you are a Christian, you are by nature an encourager. If you are a Christian, you are an encourager and that will draw people to you. The Bible says it wasn't the criticism of God that drew people to repentance. It was the kindness of God. It was the encouragement of God that draws people to repentance. If we're going to imitate Jesus with our words, we have to be people that choose to call out the God-given potential that we see in people instead of criticize what they're already doing wrong. And here's another thought on mimicking Jesus with our words, on imitating Jesus with our words. And band, you guys can start to make your way on out here. If we are going to imitate Jesus, if we're going to choose to imitate him, not only with our minds, but with our words, then this, if you are a Christian, as a Christian, you will never be able to control every situation that life throws at you. But you will be able to control your vocabulary and your words of faith in that situation. I'm going to say it one more time. As a Christian, you will not be able to control the situations that you find yourself in but you will be able to control the words that you say in those situations. Because isn't it easy to start speaking negativity, start speaking death, start speaking hatred over things when things don't go your way? When your boss kind of gives you a hard time or maybe calls you out in front of people, man, I hate that person. I swear on my life. I just, if they were just gone tomorrow, it'd be the best day of my life, right? How easy is it just to kind of switch into that mindset? If a friend stabs you in the back, oh, you just wait one day. They're going to get theirs, and I hope I'm there to see it, and I will dance all around them while they are suffering. Like, isn't that like the human heart can go to like a dark place? If a boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up to you, right? Like, sucks for them. I'm the best they'll ever do. <laughs> Life of celibacy and singleness for that person moving forward, huh? It's so easy to get into the mindset 
of this negative speaking. But when you became a Christian, you forfeited your right to allow your situation to dictate your vocabulary. When you became a Christian, you gave up your right to speak in accordance to whatever the situation calls for. You have a mission. You have a reason to speak life and hope into any situation. For example, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, being beaten to a pulp, being whipped with with chains and with little glass shards, and he's bleeding, and they put this cross on his back, and he has to carry it up a hill. And then these guards, they rip his beard out and they pull on his clothes and he's laying there naked and they start to grab these stakes and drive it into his hands and drive it into his feet and they put a crown of thorns on his head. He found himself in the worst situation a human could find themselves in. And the Bible says at any given moment, it was his right to call down legions of angels to come to his rescue. But because he loved us so much, he knew this was the only situation that could bring us back into a full relationship with God and so he endured but get this in the worst situation somebody could ever find themselves in Jesus being hung naked and mocked on a cross he chose to speak grace and forgiveness and in the worst situation he found himself in while he was hanging on a tree he said father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. While Jesus laid there dying, being mocked, he spoke grace, he spoke forgiveness, he spoke mercy, so that now all of us in this room can sit here and have a relationship with him out of love and don't have to worry about the punishment of God for our sin. Give it up for that. So as a Christian... If we are going to imitate Jesus with our words, our situation means nothing. We speak faith. We speak life. We speak grace. We speak mercy over any situation we find ourselves in. Because if Jesus did it on the cross, we can do it in our daily life. We can go into these streets. We can go into our neighborhood. We can go into our families and speak hope and grace and faith. And people will wonder what is going on. And it's just because we want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. If we are going to imitate God, we need to have the mindset of God. We need to have the words of God. We need to be be generous with our words. We, we, We need to just constantly pour out grace and mercy in a culture that is dying and looking for reasons to find life. We need to be that example of life to them, and we do that by imitating Jesus. Last thing, and I'm closing. Last thing, I will choose to walk in love. If we are going to imitate Jesus with our life, we must choose to walk in love. The Bible says that we have been loved unconditionally. Therefore, we love with unconditional love. And unconditional love doesn't mean that you agree with every mindset. It doesn't mean you agree with every behavior. It doesn't mean that you agree with every situation you find somebody in. But what it does mean is that you love somebody the way that God has loved you, that when your life didn't line up to God's grace, when your life didn't line up with his holiness and his standard of perfection, he chose to show you mercy. He chose to walk beside of you unconditionally. And so therefore, if we receive grace and we receive mercy that we do not deserve, we then shadow that and mirror that to a dying and hurting world where, hey, your lifestyle might not line up. I'm going to walk beside you anyway. I'm going to love you unconditionally. I'm going to love the crap out of you and you are not going to know what hit you, but it's just because I have received this love that I can't even begin to describe. 
If we are going to imitate Jesus, we have to imitate his mindset. We have to get his word so deep in our heart that we begin to think like him. We have to choose it daily. We have to choose to be unoffended because Jesus wants to reach the lost. He wants to reach the hurting. We have to be encouragers to a broken world. We have to not let our situation dictate the words of faith that we speak, and we have to walk in unconditional love towards anyone and everyone that we come into contact with. Will you stand with me? I'm out of breath. If you are in here tonight, and maybe you're a Christian, maybe you love the idea of God's grace, you love the idea of God's mercy, but if you're just going to be honest with me for a minute, you, you said, hey, if I'm being honest, I haven't really chose to walk the way that Jesus walked. I haven't really chosen to, to speak the way that Jesus spoke or think the way that Jesus spoke. I, I kind of do my Christian thing on the weekends or on Thursdays, but then I kind of go back to my own thing on other days. Let me tell you the good news. God is not mad. God loves you. He cares for you. He knew this was going to happen. That is why the Bible says every single day, it says, put off the old man, put on the new man. He knew this was something that was going to take some practice. But tonight, I just want to have a moment in the sand kind of, kind of moment, a line in the sand kind of moment for you just to say, nothing special about this, but for you just to say, hey, tonight, I'm going to decide with everything that is in me that I'm going to, I'm going to choose the mindset of Christ. I'm going to choose who I'm going to imitate. I'm going to choose his mind. I'm going to choose to speak like him. I'm going to choose to love like him. And I might fall, but guess what? The Holy Spirit's there to pick me back up and set me right back on course. If that's you tonight and you just want a moment of confession, a moment of honesty with every head bowed and eye closed, if you say, my life doesn't really line up with this Christianity that I claim, but I'm believing that tonight I can take a step forward and imitate Jesus, would you please put your hand up in the air? I want to pray for you. That is awesome. And if you're in here tonight and maybe you don't know about Jesus, maybe you know about him, but you just kind of see him as like this religious figure. You just see him as, as a crutch for the weak. Can I tell you that there is a God in heaven that loves you. He cares about you. He believes in you. The Bible says that for God so loved the world he gave, that means he loved you before he gave Jesus. For God so loved you that he gave Jesus so that you could have this unhindered relationship with him. There is a God in heaven that knows your name. He knows every hair on the top of your head. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. If you would like to meet Jesus and you would like to say, Jesus, I don't want to look at you as some religious figure anymore. I want a relationship with you. If that's you in here tonight, would you please raise your hand? I'm going to pray that Jesus comes into your life and becomes the Lord of your life. Awesome. Hands everywhere. Hands everywhere. Can we give it up for those people that decided to follow Jesus? Lord Jesus, we love you. God, our prayer tonight is that every single day we can begin to look more and more like you, not because we're trying to be perfect, because we're forgiven. And we want to mimic this life. We want to show this life what, what they're missing with Jesus. And I honestly believe that if we think like Jesus, talk like Jesus, live like Jesus, there's a life waiting for us that we can't even imagine that it'll attract the world and that we could be lights in a dark place. Jesus, we love you. And for every single person that chose to put their faith in you tonight, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will begin to do a work in their heart. Would you affirm the decision that they made? Would you let them know that they are loved, they are cherished, they are cared for, God, and that you gave your life for them. 
and that the rest of their life they can spend it just fellowshipping with you, loving you, worshiping you, and knowing that the best is still to come in their life. Jesus, we love you so much. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.